When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series to discussing two players, one offense and one defense. Uh, here to join me for that effort is Slava Cooperstein. Slava, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. How are you? Uh, always great to have you on. Uh, one of the really knowledgeable resources. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about J.K. Dobbins and Caillou Blue Kelly uh, today. A couple of players who... Uh, one, I think we know the role. The other, I think, is going to be fighting for playing time, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, Slava, why don't you talk through a little bit about Dobbins' 2022, set that up. I'll chime in as necessary. Yeah, so uh, Dobbins, uh, I, I mean, I don't think there's any way to uh, uh, slice it other than saying that, uh, that uh, you know, Dobbins, at least from an availability standpoint, uh, was a little bit, of a disappointment, um, in 2022, um, you know, just, I think everybody was hoping that after his, uh, season ending injury in 2021, that he'd be back on the field, uh, week one. Of course, that wasn't the case. Um, he came back, played, uh, I believe it was against the bills and immediately went back, uh, to, to have a, uh, to have his knee scoped, cleaned up a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, undoubtedly very valiant, season-long effort on his part to be able to come back from that. But, you know, he only ended up playing in eight games. Um, his 5.7 yards per attempt was a little bit down from his six yards per attempt. That's to be expected, particularly mm-hmm. if you remember his big highlight run. Uh, I think it was a 44-yard run against the Bills or something like that, where he um, – I think you said that he looked like he was carrying a piano on his back. Um, that's, <laughs> I think, a, a, an apt description um, you know, the fact that he was able to work his way through being in that kind of shape by the way that he was at the end of the season was certainly a highlight. Um, but I think that uh, he's definitely looking to rebound um, in 2023. Yeah, left I mean, the 5.7 yards per carry is still excellent. It's uh, It was one of the best figures in the league. It might have been first or second, but uh, his, his career rate in that case is absolutely outstanding. And I've got to say this, it is not going to continue without Greg Roman at the helm. He, he will not be able to maintain that kind of a level, uh, and, and we shouldn't expect it. Um, one thing that has been more of an issue is that he hasn't really made his mark as a receiver yet. Uh, had only eight targets last year for 42 yards. That's 5.3 yards per target. Um, not what the Ravens would hope for from Dobbins. They would like for him to be 
probably an elusive third down weapon that they could put on the field. They ended up using Justice Hill primarily in that role in 2022. Uh, so this year, how he's used will be very interesting to see if he, he gets on the field for some of those snaps as well. Uh, I thought one thing he did excellent was finding a gap at the line of scrimmage and avoiding first contact. Now, he's not the greatest tackle breaker. Broke 19 tackles the whole year per PFF, but um, his yards after contact was still a a good but not great 3.04. Actually, that's right around the league average for running backs. Um, So it's it's not a strong suit. He's a low center of gravity, does things well in those terms, but um, he's not Gus Edwards in terms of yards after contact. And he is, uh, it isn't even the, the most important part of the game. His important part of the game is using the mini stretch, finding that cutback lane um, in a zone scheme and, and, and creating a burst that gets him into level two and breaks him free. Um, he wants that first contact to be kind of minimal, and he wants to get off on, on some long, rumbling breakaways. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the, a fair amount of them ended with some yards left on the field in 2022. So while his, while his season average was still great at 5.7, could have been even better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that um, that aspect of the game is going to improve just another year removed from injury. Not not the absolute number of yards per attempt, because again, it's really hard to maintain yeah. that that output. But in terms of, I think you're going to see long some of those longer runs. Um, uh, him be a- able to you know tack on some yards at the end of those compared to before just because he he figures to be in much better physical shape. Yeah, better better finisher. I would agree with that. Uh, he's got a very interesting statistic for his career regarding his receiving and running that I found. So twenty five career receptions now in, in two seasons that he's been healthy, and those have resulted in a first down twenty eight percent of the time, seven times of twenty five. That's not his targets. That's his receptions. So only 28% of his receptions you know, resulted in a first down. If you look at his runs, it's 64 out of 226, also 28%. Incredible to me that that you know your 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 run and your and your reception first down is the same. Because you because you you really got to look at your runs and your targets. And so his target percentage would be significantly lower. Uh, I can actually do that for you in just a second. So he's had 32 targets career. So seven out of 32, he's, he's you know, under 25%, obviously, in terms of uh, um, as a percentage of targets, 22%. Yeah, what, a, what a coincidence with those numbers lying, lining yeah. up that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, I think as far as, you know, as far as what you want to see from Dobbins as a receiver, I, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess I would pose the question of is, has Dobbins career as a receiver, is that, do you put that on, how much of that do you put on him versus how much do you put on Lamar? Because Lamar really doesn't like to check it down to the running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, cer- certainly not on the level of Flacco did. Uh, so, so what do you think the the breakdown of that is? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And uh, you know, if Dobbins is running some routes where he's less likely to get open or even they're, you know, running RPO schemes and whatnot, that really is not too much of the Ravens. Uh, way of doing it, like to run Dobbins out of sky sidecar, fake a run right, and then and then pass out of that. Um, Lamar still doesn't do too much where he goes all the way in the mesh, brings it out, and then throws the ball. He did that a few times in 2019, but you can count him on one hand. He did it three times, twice in the first game, and I think once again in week five uh, during during the whole season. So it, it almost never occurs. 
So most of what you know he gets in terms of play action is is various forward facing fakes where he's showing a, a hand check or a or a kind of a limited play action look to a to a runner who goes in front of him. Uh, with with Dobbins, I, I think I think a lot of it is scheme. I think you know they're obviously not having him in. If if his primary responsibility is going to be some sort of flat route where he try has to try to get the edge, that's more challenging anyway to get yards. I think Monken will do more to find how can he challenge the defense in terms of using space off the line of scrimmage. And Roman, don't I, don't don't take that to mean that Roman did not challenge space, but Roman was a tremendous challenger of space horizontally along the line of scrimmage. And you know, what's going on you know, with the Ravens offense these last four years is kind of pretty similar to what's happening uh, in Ukraine right now is that it is a very long front line. The longer, the better for Ukraine. They can probe at it, try and find weak spots, and they break through it at one point of attack and exploit in either direction and destroy the, all the Russians carefully laid uh, preparations, you know, hopefully. And that's what the, the Greg Roman offense tried to do. It tried to misdirect the opponents, get themselves out of position and puncture through at the point of attack with heavy personnel like Ricard, like pulling guards, et cetera, and then uh, exploit that with a, uh, uh, you know, players who could also break contact in the secondary. So uh, very interesting uh, uh, difference between these two coordinators. I don't think we really know what Monken's offense is going to look like enough to know how different J.K. Dobbins' role in the passing game is going to be. Yeah, certainly not in the passing game. I I, I think we though should expect um, very reasonably that his usage in the run game uh, should, should increase uh, at least his, per, you know, percentage of uh, percentage of runs that are going to him. I would, I would hope because, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel. I, I think the Ravens usage of JK Dobbins so far has been borderline nonsensical. Uh, really meaning really, not enough. Yeah. Really underutilizing him. I, you know, I don't know that anybody has shown, the ability to consistently stop or limit J.K. Dobbins. Really, it's just been injury that's limited him. And really, it's been, you know, it's been the, you know, Greg Roman, uh, you know, in my opinion, li- limiting him um, because, you know, you, you go back to 2020, you know, go back to 2020 his rookie year. I mean, it was very clear very early on in that season that Mark Ingram was just not yes, that guy. That's true. It, I mean, right away. And I don't know whether it was this, being beholden to not letting rookies on the field early or something like that. But if, but if that's the case, I mean, that's, you know, in my mind, unacceptable because, you know, because you're hurting the team. Yeah. Same thing happened to Ray Rice in, in 2008, he was having trouble getting on the field behind Laron McLean, Willis McGahee was still on the roster and each of those backs were terrific in terms of, of what they provided. Just Rice was the best player. And I think we're going to, if, I, I would expect Dobbins to get a very heavy workload. I would expect him to want a fairly heavy workload this year because he's got a lot to prove. He's he's been a year and a half effectively active on an NFL roster in three seasons. He needs to get on the field and really produce some things to get paid next year, wherever that is, whether it's Baltimore or somewhere else. But Baltimore is obviously dragging their heels on doing this. I think that's a lot of what we're seeing from J.K. in terms of his um, social media posts is that he really would like to talk extension now. And the Ravens are saying, well, hold on. We really want to see a little bit more or we can't talk right now. Yeah. And, and from Dobbins perspective, it's like, well, you know, I'm basically begging you guys every week 
to 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 feed me the ball because you know it's not like these defenses are stopping him. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, there's a time to run, and obviously, there's time to pass. Uh, but if Munkin is to be taken at his word, you know, he's going to let the talent that he has available to him dictate, you know, what he's doing rather than the other way around. Yeah. And you know, something something that I really noticed about the end of you know, the end of um, uh, the tenure of um, uh, Greg Roman, uh, which echoed the end of the tenure of Cam Cameron, was tor- very, towards the very end, you know, the press conferences started becoming like, oh, well, you know, players need to execute, players need to execute. And I, I think that's a real red flag for me as a coach, you know, because at the end of the day, you can draw up whatever you want, but you need to put your players in positions for success. And that's what Munkin has been sort of preaching you know that that's a great point and and we hope Monken is that kind of guru they say all defensive coordinators will say the same thing you build your defense around what what you have in terms of talent and and you know play to their strengths and and hopefully Monken is able to do that it does it sounds everything I've heard sounds good philosophically I love it um you know in terms of of who Greg Roman was it should be a big difference um, and and I love Greg Roman. You know, he's he was a, he's a, a offensive coordinator that clearly got it done during his time with the Ravens. By the way, if if Lamar Jackson does not invite Greg Roman to his Hall of Fame induction, I would think he's really not realizing what you know transpired during this period because nobody was better for Lamar Jackson during these last four years than than Greg Roman in terms of of putting him in a position to succeed in 2019 and uh, and then basically having an offense that was completely built around what his strengths were. So I I hope that he realizes that. And I, and I I hope that Ravens fans on the other side realize that he's the greatest coordinator the team has ever had um, in that respect. You know, you can look at at Kubiak who was only here for a year or maybe go back to uh, Don Strzok, in the, in the very early days who had a great no huddle offense that Vinny Testaverde run fairly well for 1996 made Vinny Testaverde a pro bowl quarterback, which is in itself incredible. Um, but still, you know, I, I, I just hope Greg Roman does get his due from this organization, uh, you know, as time moves on. Yeah. I think, I think you'll have to wait a few years for, uh, <laughs> for, for, for folks to uh, get on your side, but, uh, but no, I mean, he, he absolutely accomplished some historic things in his time here. And, um, and there's no question about that. Um, I want to say a little bit about Dobbins as a, how he gets on the field on third down, because there is kind of a problem and all running backs face this. So in theory, any running back is on the third, on the field on third down, you, you, you say he needs to be a good pass blocker. Okay. That's true. And he also needs to be a good receiver. Dobbins right now is not, on the efficient frontier, if you were to map out those two characteristics and plot out who, where the running backs are in the group on that. So he, he needs to be a better pass blocker. He's, he's only average. Um, some would say below average, but he's only average is, is, is pretty much how I would term it. And he hasn't produced very much in terms of the, the Roman offense in terms of any kind of explosiveness or any kind of value to the receptions he's had. It's not a good position to be on on that efficiency. And there's always teams, uh, teams are typically able to find backs. Uh, I think back to the 1980s, Kelvin Bryant was a guy who came on the field. He came out of North Carolina, but played for the Redskins. 
uh, in the NFL. And he was a terrific third down back. If you go back to the seventies and the Colts, Don McCauley was a guy who was rarely on the field on early downs, but on third down, he, he had value both as a blocker and a receiver and a, and a good nose for the first down line when it, when it wasn't yellow. Uh, but anyway, it was a, uh, those guys are out there. Um, you know, Larry centers and whatnot guys who, 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 who can catch the football can also pass block. Got to got to be able to be on that efficient frontier somewhere if you're really making the claim you need to be on third down. When you're not in on third down, already that is a pretty significant reduction in the leverage of your snaps. So, yeah, I I can completely understand paying a a running back a moderate contract. You know, I'm I'm not ever really in favor of paying a big contract. But the guy I want to do that for is a guy who's going to produce in high leverage downs. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, from what I've observed, I don't think that I certainly don't think Dobbins is a liability in pass protection, you know, and uh, so I think average is probably the way to put it. I don't see why that wouldn't improve at least a little bit um, with just more time and again, more health. Um uh, you know, if he's if he's a little bit more at full strength, I think the blocks that he does connect on should be a little bit more effective. And uh, and again, as a receiver, I, I mean, I think that truly is the biggest question mark, right? Because if the philosophy is going to the offensive philosophy is going to include um, the running back more in the um, receiving game, then I think we'll finally get an opportunity to see um, really what um, Dobbins can can do and whether. Uh, whether it's you know him or the offense philosophy or Lamar that has sort of been the limiting factor in that respect. All right, I uh, I would agree with that. In terms of um, who's gone after the season, and Dobbins obviously and Edwards both are fairly high probabilities to be lost. And when I say that either of them could be resigned. If Edwards has another year, you know, who knows if he doesn't get another two-year deal, although he's getting up there. Uh, you know, you don't want to be – big thing with any older free agent contract, you don't want to be get stuck with the queen of spades. You don't want to be holding a, a long-term contract um, at the wrong time. So it's a it's a it's uh, uh, you know, something you have to be careful about. In in the case of, um, of Dobbins, uh, it just may be – ideally – he'll have a huge year this year and he may be out of the Ravens price range, given that they have Lamar. And, and honestly, that'd be ideal for him. It'd probably be ideal for the Ravens in terms of getting the best comp pick they can and the most production in, in 2023. So um, Dobbins is probably correct that he doesn't know where he'd be playing in 2024, but that's the nature of being a fourth year player. You never really know that no matter who you are in the NFL, the only guys who know are, you know, players like Chuck Clark or Patrick Ricard or other players who take a reduced third-year deal to get extended and get that additional security. My guess is Dobbins doesn't really want a reduced deal for the security like any of those players I just mentioned. He probably wants to really get paid. And, you know, that's where the, you know, if you really want to get paid, play it out like Ben Powers did and really get paid. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think that if Dobbins doesn't have the type of year that will get him the contract offer that he's looking for, I mean, if I were him, I'd probably go somewhere else, uh, you know, just based on the history in Baltimore. You know, if he thinks that he's not getting the usage, you know, the opportunities uh, in the offense. I mean, it's, I guess it's a different story if, you know, if, if the Munkin offense is very different and he feels 
like he will have that opportunity to show and prove in the Munkin offense um, mm-hmm. with an additional year or two deal that's less than he wants. But I think more than likely he's either going to price himself out or he's going to go try to prove himself elsewhere where he'll be the focal point. Give me a percentage chance in your mind that the Ravens sign either Dobbins or Edwards to a 2024 contract. Either of them. Um, yeah. hmm. I would. I've got my number written down here. Yeah, I would go. I'd be comfortable with a 45% chance. Okay. Uh, because, go ahead. Not, not much different, 35%. But we're in the same ballpark of, you know, there's a, there's a greater than 50% chance that both of these players will be gone for 2024. And it's a shame. They've been great players. But, uh, you know, it, it, the focus should be on 23 at this point in both these guys. In, in a sense, they're both kind of one-year rentals. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think that they've been really, really effective um, as as players. And I think that they really have you know have an opportunity to have you know put together a pretty incredible year another year removed um from their injuries it's just so unfortunate the timing of their injuries and the effect that that's going to have on you know their ability to get future contracts um and and sort of put us in this weird kind of no man's land about their futures in baltimore but i do think that baltimore has had a recent enough uh, memory, which is obviously 2021, where they did not have a good back on the roster mm-hmm. and tried to cobble together a backfield. And just, I, I think they assumed, like many of us did, that any running back is going to do just fine with R- Lamar Jackson under center. And that really didn't prove to be the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they made a big set of stylistic mistakes in going after veteran running backs. So they overvalued, in, in my opinion, they overvalued mesh point ability and mesh point experience. Um, because they'd had such good success with Mark Ingram in 2019, and he w- he was the master of the mesh point. And of all the guys that Jackson has worked with, he's the guy who's been cleanest with it. He understood it mechanically. He he knew how to just take take it down just a notch into second second and a half gear. We'll call it while he's moving through that mesh point. Allow Jackson to make late pulls, etc. Um, all the other guys they they've all had various degrees of not being good enough at it. Uh, to allow for late pulls or having it really reduce their effectiveness by going slow through that mesh point, not being able to reaccelerate. So Latavius Murray, for example, might've been a guy who was reasonable at, at handling it, but, but then he had a lot of problems accelerating after that. So uh, anyway, a, a bunch of guys who I would have thought would have done well, I would have thought it matched Le'Veon Bell's um, running style. Exactly. Given he was with the Steelers, always a very patient guy behind the line of scrimmage, but uh, that certainly didn't work out. So, uh, yeah, it was it, it was what it was. I, I think the Ravens will put their focus on younger running backs going forward. At least I hope they do. And that's why I think Keaton Mitchell is such an important player this summer and fall for the Ravens to find out where he fits into this team. Can he hold on to the football? Is he good with the mesh? Is he a good receiving threat for Monken's offense? Had somebody on the show uh, just recently said they don't even know how much the mesh point is going to be a part of the Ravens offense going forward. Um, who's, whose snaps do you think Keaton Mitchell eats into? Well, it's, it's whose activations in a lot of ways, because Mitchell, even to get active, it's going to be difficult. So, uh, if you put him on the, if you put him on the practice squad, I think he's one of their higher priority, uh, UDFA signings. He's certainly one of the, the, the players who has the best chance to make the team as a UDFA. Um, I, I think he gets snatched up. I think somebody takes him. I was really surprised he did not get drafted. 
Um, if, if assuming he doesn't and he's and he sits there on the practice squad, then he can come up for three games that way, get his feet wet. Running backs always have minor injuries. If you want to keep three active, then then one of Hill, Edwards, or Dobbins could be out for that week, and Mitchell could could get some snaps. I think if he comes up, he probably gets some significant playing time. I mean, when I say significant, you know, twelve snaps, four carries, maybe that kind of thing. Um, but you know, something where he's 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 going to at least get to show what he can do a little bit. Um, and I think that that uh, you know he's he's the home run hitter. He's the outside threat. Um, I can't I. As much as I want, I don't want to believe necessarily, but as much as I believe that Munkin will move the offense to being a uh, much more pass-heavy version of what it has been, he's still, still got to close out games. And if Munkin is successful doing all the other things he wants to do, it create a transactional offense, which has a lot more high yardage plays in the passing game, then I think the Ravens stand to have some good leads to protect. Well, when you do that, you do not want to be the that Euler team that lost the thirty-five to three lead and, and you know had the run and shoot offense. You want to have a power run scheme available to you in your hip pocket at least. And so to do that, they're going to have to maintain that on early downs, and uh, I think they will. And you know they, they certainly have the talent to to do it both on uh, in terms of of having a fullback, having tight ends who can block a little bit, having Jackson, um, and having the right set of running backs who can uh, who can stretch the field uh, horizontally. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you could do a lot worse uh, with a closer than uh, than with Gus Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I think he's, I, I mean, ideally, to me, J.K. Dobbins is your clear cut starter. You know, early on in the game, he's getting the majority of the snaps and get, has an opportunity to get into a rhythm, which I think is something that the Roman offense underrated. I think I think there really is something to that um, for running backs to get into a rhythm, but, but, you know, at, at that point, you know, late in the game, you know, whether it's, you know, second half of the third quarter or the fourth quarter, you know, you've got Gus Edwards with fresh legs coming in, just pounding that defensive line. I mean, I, I think, I think that's a great way to put away a lot of games. Well, let's, let's move on and talk about what a good season is for uh, uh, Dobbins. And, and I did this using a 60th and 80th percentile ranking thing. But you define it however you want, Slava, in terms of, of what would be a good season for Dobbins. What would it be? So good season, I, I tried to – and, you know, there's always this interesting interplay between, like, you know, I, I tried to balance the equities of a good season for Dobbins not coming at the expense of, you know, the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so it's not, it's not based on the idea of somebody else getting injured and he just gets a ridiculous number of attempts out of – um, out of necessity, but, um, good season for me, for Dobbins, you know, last, last year he averaged 11.5 attempts per game. I, you know, good season, I think would see an uptick in that 12. I, I put him down at 12 to 14 attempts per game and, uh, and plays in, in 14 to 15 games. Um, I think that would be great. I mean, health more than anything, right. That's, yeah. that's the, that is the key, you know, and that's, that's the baseline for me. I think, I think if he plays all, you know, the all or the majority of the season, that's a good season. Yeah. But uh, I, I dropped down his yards per carry uh, down to down to five, which is really good still. But you know, 0.7 yards per carry less than last season, so so a, a, a significant dip. But I think one that we should expect to see coming, which then puts him at 900 to just over a thousand yards on the season. Okay. 
All right. Well, that's that certainly would be a a, a good season by uh, by I think any standard. I had the exact same thought in terms of yards per carry, and mine is primarily around the fact that the Ravens played the heaviest offenses in the history of the NFL last year uh, on a relative basis, and certainly the very heaviest of any recent time in terms of the absolute number of tight ends, fullbacks, and six offensive linemen per play. And that that won't happen with Monk, and it won't happen with their current receiver room. Otherwise. Oh, I can't even imagine the amount of screaming and social media back and forth it will be on terms of, of snap count lost by wide receivers if the Ravens aren't playing about 45 to 55% 11 personnel at the absolute minimum this year. It's <laughs> just what, what, what the – it's like we're likely to see a, a large explosion coming from that Owings Mills facility if that happens. But you know, given the fact that they're probably going to play with a fullback less, I think we would expect to see – um, Dobbins's yards per carry hurt. I had 5.0 as a, as boy, if he could maintain that, that, that would certainly be a good season. Honestly, I actually think a little bit less would be okay too. If you're in the 4.8 range or whatever, the, the basically the offense was completely built around players like Jakey Dobbins and, and, uh, uh, Jackson succeeding in the run game under Roman. And that's just not the case anymore. And I think, uh, Dobbins will find out that, that while he may have some more opportunities in the passing game, he'll have less in the run game. The, the other part of this is I want to see his pass blocking improve a tick and become a weapon usable on third down of the yards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details per target of six and a half plus. So he's at about what I, I think I said it earlier, 5.3 yards per target in 2020. And it's about that in his career it might be, might be actually a little bit lower, but uh, I want to see him be in a little bit better spot on that efficient frontier. I mentioned earlier of being a good pass blocker and being a receiving threat. So he can be on the field on third down. And those are my only two things. I don't have a, a total yardage need and I'm, I'm, flexible in terms of his total amount of usage per game. Uh, there could be a lot less total carries to be distributed. And I would more, if I were to define, I'd probably define it in terms of total touches as opposed to total carries. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think total touches is probably a, a, a better way because you are trying to get him more involved in the past game. So that, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's move on. What's a great season for Jake Dobbins? So great season, I think, uh, you know, going again with the sort of the touches per game, sort of jumping that up to 18 to 20, which is like very high usage. But I think that that is still within the realm, certainly within the realm of possibility if he becomes a real focal point of the of the offense. Um, again, you know, playing in 15 games, maintaining that five yards per carry, um, and 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 I agree with you. You know, even if it's just under, you know, a tick under. Uh, five yards per carry. I mean, I think 
every single coach in the league, if you tell them your running back's going to average 4.8 yards a carry, they'll take that. That's profit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in this scenario, he would be strongly preferred as uh, as an option over Gus, um, and and would um, really be significantly involved in pass catching duties. Uh, and and significantly, I mean, doesn't doesn't mean you know Ray Rice in 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 twenty fourteen or or, or twenty thirteen, um, but uh, but you know to the extent that defenses have to account for him and take him seriously as a as a receiving option. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That, that uh, you know they 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 may even have to put a specialist on the field at linebacker or a dimebacker, whatever, to 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 take very seriously the uh, the impact of them. That's great. I I had a more a, a fairly broad definition here. I'd say as a great season, he thrives in Monken's offense with explosive plays as a receiver and minimal or no fall off in yards per carry. And what I mean by that, anything north of five would be. I think really good. It would it basically be minimal fall off in terms of his yards per carry. I know there are a lot of fans who can say, "Oh my God, no! That yards per carry is so central." It's it it is, but it's it's a um, it's something we can't expect to be at the same level. So there'll be some fall off, just like we had to project some fall off for Lamar after 2019. You know, he just had the greatest season ever by a quarterback by by some accounts. Uh, you can't expect that that you know he, he's going to be at that same level in terms of the statistical results, at least. Uh, I think he gets Pro Bowl consideration um, despite a committee approach, and he gets paid after the season by someone. And honestly, I, I don't care who he gets paid by. Not, I, I care much less about who he gets paid by than that he earns that payday with his play in 23. Um, and if Dobbins is a long-time Raven because the Ravens think um, it's it's the right call to make, that that could be that could be great for Ravens fans. It could be could be great generally for for the uh, the city of Baltimore. Certainly could be great for Dobbins. Um, but if he also goes somewhere else and gets paid because he had a great twenty three, um, I, I, shedding a tear is the wrong thing. I'll still be sad to see him go, but it'll be part of what we always talk about on this show. Is is that teams that draft exceptionally well always have to end up making heartbreaking decisions about what players they let go. And Dobbins is, you know, in in a run of great players. He's at a position where uh, the NFL is kind of currently devaluing it, and so it's uh, it might make sense to let him walk after this year if he has the kind of year that we hope he could. Do you remember when um when Bart Scott, Ray Lewis, and Suggs came up on contracts all at once? Yeah, uh, that was. Uh, it was, it was Suggs was was in that at the exact same time after two thousand eight. So after 2008, both both Scott and and Lewis were, and Ryan picked Scott to lead his defense. And I think Lewis was a little bit insulted by that, and Lewis came back signed with the Ravens again. I did not remember that Suggs was the exact same year, but I'll have to look, look back at it. Yeah, he was a, he was an 03 draftee, so I guess that would have been his fifth year. Uh, or, yeah, and that was although, in the five year period, was right? Yeah. So um, so yeah, I mean that's that's my recollection, anyways. But I just remember that there was a lot of just. Uh, you know, uh, angst among Ravens fans, just, you know, you know, who, who, who can we keep? Are we going to get to keep one? Are we going to get to keep two? Probably right. not going to get to keep all three. So that goes to your point. Yeah. Anyway, it is, it is what it is. And, and I can only tell you that the opposite is a nightmare to have to choose among your, among the scraps of talent you still have after year four and give them bigger contracts than they deserve because you have money and you don't have other players to, uh, that's a lot worse situation to be in than what the Ravens have traditionally had, which is too much talent to pay uh, at that point. And, you know, 
I don't think there's a reason for players to be bitter about it. I, I didn't hear a peep out of Ben Powers as he got the full-time playing job. The Ravens apparently did not uh, approach him about a contract, and then he went out and really got paid for Denver. Great. We're happy for him. Uh, you know, Ryan Jensen, similar situation. The Ravens could have extended him. They could have found another way to uh, to deal with him. But, you know, four years, $42 million, at that price, you just got to shake his hand and say, thank you for all you've done. We wish you good well in your, in your next opportunities. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's like, like you said, it's better to look, be looking at a buffet of very good options yeah. than you know, a bunch of crap. So. Your, your stomach will only fit so much. Yeah. So. All right, let's move on to our next player here, which is a, a rookie, Caillou Blue Kelly, a uh, uh, corner drafted out of Stanford. You know, a lot of what I have on him relates to his time at Stanford. And I, I, I want to let you go first on him because he's a guy that I certainly have some negative things Um to think about, it, I did not have him in my top 18 cornerbacks uh, to, to, to be drafted. And um, frankly, was a little surprised by the pick, but I'll talk a little bit about that. But why don't you start us off? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, the, the story on Kaya Blue Kelly is his 22 season was uh, a down season from his 21 season. Uh, you know, he, he was down in pretty much every major statistical category, just didn't appear to have as much dominance as the uh, as the 21 season, although, you know, everybody talks about in the 21 season when he was covering uh, Drake London, and I rewatched uh, those plays, and I think that the box score was a little bit kinder than the film was um, when he was covering Drake London. I think there were two, at least two big catches that London just didn't make, or, or, or maybe the throw was a little bit off target, including one in the end zone um, that could have made that stat line look very different than it did but you know that being said uh he looked like he could compete against top tier talent and and something that i thought about when i was watching his film was uh, I, I don't know if you saw this earlier maybe it was over the summer or last year at some point uh, but you know aj brown was interviewed about you know what some who some of the top corners um he he goes against our and he mentioned Marlon Humphrey. You know, thank God somebody gives mm-hmm. Marlon some love. But uh, what he said about Marlon is that he um, he's annoying, right? He's in, <laughs> he's like he's like he's in every play, right? He just gets under your skin and he's in every play. And I think we saw that play out when Humphrey went against uh, OBJ in Cleveland, um, famously so. Uh, so I mean, obviously, you know, Kyle Blue Kelly is not. Marlon Humphrey by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think he has um, a little bit of that quality where he's just, he's involved in all, in, in most all of the plays he's competing for position all the time. He doesn't seem like he's, you know, totally lost. I mean, he has his strengths and he has his weaknesses, but I think that when the Ravens drafted him, I, th- I think they looked at somebody who, um, you know, aside from the fact that he had a good pro day, I think they looked at somebody who they thought was very intelligent and somebody who they think that they can coach up on some of the things that are lacking this game. You know, those are great points. And and um, the main thing I come back to is I hope the Ravens know what they're doing in this. It's it's a case of they obviously see something they love. They, he looks like a football to them, player to them in some way. Some scout probably had him as a red star uh, being one of the reasons why they, they, they you know, drafted him when they do because I, I don't think I don't, I don't think it was a sure thing he was going to get drafted 
if he, if he did, you know, it might've been the sixth or seventh round and, you know, a lot of corners come off the board, but it, it's, it, it wasn't a sure thing to me. He has that, that prototype frame you like at six foot one ninety one. Um, 452 speed is a little on the slow end, decent sized length arms for a corner at 32 inches. That's, that's all solid. And he didn't turn 22 until May 22nd. So he's just turned 22. That's good. You want a younger kind of a player and some cornerbacks certainly come out younger, some older, he's kind of right in the middle of the group. So at least those parts are good. Here's what's not good for a player that size and six foot 191 at the college level. He had way too many missed tackles. 14% as a senior, that was even worse than his 13.3% career rate. So, you know, you mentioned 2021 20, versus 22. I kind of wish it was that simple, but his 21 season basically had his career rate for yards per target, and his 22 season was worse, but his career rate for yards per target is 8.4. 8.4. We'd be happy if every one of our receivers had an 8.4 you know, yards per target rate, and there are reasons why on a bad Stanford team, and they were three and nine this last season, that the defense is generally weak around him, that the safety sucked, that the pass rush wasn't there, and it just made his job a lot harder and he gave up some yards per play. So hopefully the Ravens have factored that in as appropriate. Um, but 8.9 yards per target this last year was half horrible. I mean, it, you know, it's that's just, it's, it's over the top bad. Um, it, you know, he's playing in the Pac-12 too, where... You know, it is kind of a passing league, but it also is not a league where you've got a great quarterback every week like you do in the SEC. Uh, so it's not a it's it's just not that same kind of uh, uh, environment. Uh, following number one receivers might have been part of it. And that I did not watch too closely as he went through it. You mentioned he was on Drake London uh, in the game. That's good to hear. Um, but I, I don't know if that was the case week after week that he was he was forced to do that. To me, I, I see a guy who um, two things that that I like to do, and I, I I like to get away from my own potential arrogance. And by the way, I think this present in all kinds of people who, who look at college players. So while I, I I pin this on myself, I want to be trying aware of it. I'd encourage everybody who's looking at college players to really try and be aware of this. Is that you can have an arrogance to find a characteristic you like on a play and then find other plays that meet that same characteristic and then say, well, this is a trend kind of thing. And you, you, it's, it's very difficult to watch enough film to kind of decide if it is a trend and you have to corroborate it, I think, with the numbers more. So whatever I could say about his film, and there are things I think he mirrors pretty well at the top of the route. Uh, I, I don't think he reads the quarterback too well at the same time uh, to get in position uh, to make some some good plays on the football. Uh, so, so those things, you know, it, they don't all fit together for me, but also um, how he looks as a cornerback, in my opinion, is way better than his 8.9 yards per target last year, his 8.4 career. But if, if I look past that, I mean, I, I'd, be a, I'd be really concerned about my own arrogance as a, as a talent evaluator. To, to say that, that, you know, I should disregard this critical thing because look at him. He's he just he's on the hip. The ball flies right off his bat. You know, now all the lines from Moneyball come out, you know, about these old timey scouts and how they were looking at players. So anyway, I, I, I he's he's uh, uh, a guy the Ravens love for some reason. If it's the annoying factor, if it's the dog in him, if they think they see a player who will be a better downhill player than he was in college. They think they can coach him up on that end. All great stuff. But my own 
take on him is he's he's a guy who um, fits squarely in the middle of the pack of a very large pack of cornerback talent for the Ravens right now that they have to sift through. Yeah, you know, and and that actually leads me to a question that I had for you. You know, do you think, you know, do you think that the Ravens' strategy on drafting all these corners? Do you think this sort of mirrors what the um, what the Chiefs have been doing at receiver? You know, they they got rid of Tyreek, and they you know drafted a bunch of receivers with a bunch of different, you know, they might have one or two things about them that are tailor-made for different situations. So they're just, you know, instead of one guy with the entire toolkit, they're like, okay, let me get a bunch of guys with maybe one or two tools and see how they fit in. Do you think they're trying that? Do you think they're just trying to take as many swings at, at the position as possible uh, to, to see if they hit on one? That's a really interesting question because in Caillou Blue Kelly's case, I can't come up with what's the single tool that's so outstanding that I really love the guy. And and the Raven Scouts have that. They know what it is. They know what they like about him. They know what they think they can coach on him. Uh, you watch who the Orioles have brought in, you know, this season so far and how they've made better players out of a whole bunch of guys, Aaron Hicks and and Ryan O'Hearn and players like that who, who uh, you know, were not doing much, frankly, for other organizations in the league. They bring them in all of a sudden, you know, they know just how to, how to utilize their talent. That could be the case. Um, so, so if we, uh, if, if, if the Ravens have got it figured out, that's my best hope for this draft pick. I'll say the last player I really remember having this discussion about was Patrick Queen. I didn't really like the pick at number 28. Uh, if you watch the draft show and the, and the video of me, you could see me being visibly, visibly upset with the pick. I kind of knew it was coming. I kind of had to mute myself in terms of my disappointment with it. And yet the guy I really wanted was Xavier McKinney. And he got taken by the Giants a little bit later. And 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 Patrick Queen, Queen, of course, is the guy for the Ravens. And you know, the only thing I can say is that is, you know, the Ravens see something they like and they think they can mold. And uh, you know, Patrick Queen's obviously had a rocky first couple of years in the NFL, which which you know made things a little bit more differently, seems to have finally figured it out. So maybe the Ravens are gonna get value out of this number one pick between a combination of of having a good 23 and whatever happens thereafter. But uh, uh you know, you 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 wonder about that. Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, my question is, how do you how do you get him playing time? Where does he fit in with the current set of corners? Yeah, so just to speak more broadly about what the, you know, cornerback room sort of looks like, uh, you know, the third and fourth outside CB spots are, are, are you know, wide open. Um, you, you'd figure that another veteran uh, would be signed to shore, shore that up a little bit because – you know, right now it's Marlon and Rocky Asin, who are, mm-hmm. I think, the clear one and two. Um, and I think you'd want a little bit more than that, whether it's a reunion with Peters, whether Kyle Fuller's healthy, whether there's you know going to be a cut of an otherwise competent veteran that the Ravens would, would like. I mean, I, th- I think likely, you know, the you know all of these guys that the Ravens have drafted in the last two years or so are going to be fighting for that number four corner spot. Um, but the, the quickest way for, uh, Caillou Blue Kelly to make it, um, you know, to the game day activation is to see him making significant contributions on special teams. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have to be a core special teamer. Completely agree with that. And, and that's all of the rookies 
boy, they need to live and die with their special teams responsibilities in camp here because a lot of the decisions will be made on that basis. And, and even a guy who's a little behind at corner, uh, it, it won't be good you know, to start off the year behind a corner. You want to be caught up in everything. But if you're a little bit behind a corner and you're ready to go on special teams, they'll, they'll keep you on the game day roster. And then you'll uh, you'll get activations based on that. Um, you know, if if you're competing with a guy like Kayvon Seymour is a is a good example who might or might not make the 53. Probably not, um, but he'll he'll be around. He'll be available. He'll somehow find his way back to the Ravens roster at some point during the season. I feel confident in saying that. Uh, Worley is another guy who who you know fits that mold pretty much exactly. Um, but they're always ready to play special teams whenever they're they're called upon. And they can play uh, corner semi-competently uh, to competently. And I, Worley, I'd kind of put in the competent category. Seymour, you really don't want him on the field at cornerback if you can avoid it. Um, but but he's ready to be there as an emergency cornerback if needed. Yeah, I mean, Worley made some some plays last year. And you better believe that the Ravens are going to feel comfortable uh, if they, you know, if they're in a situation – uh, like that, putting putting him over uh, sort of an unproven rookie. Um, so so I, I I do think it's a long way to go for Kaya Blue Kelly to see the field unless he absolutely just shows out during during training camp and preseason, which seems like it'll take a little bit more time than that if he gets there. Yeah, he'll he'll get an opportunity. This is a great thing. I mean, he'll be in there in the second half pretty much the whole time of these preseason games, and he should get an opportunity to to, to really shine. So. Uh, that'll at least be fun. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of the fun for me of the preseason is watching all these players who are on the fringe of the roster, who have a chance to contribute, who might be future contributors and get that first look at them, uh, get a first look at, 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 you don't really get a look at scheme from new coordinators until the season starts because they, they, they're a closed book during that preseason, but uh, you do get to see what players can do in terms of ability. So let's talk about what a good season looks like for, uh, for Kelly. Yeah, I, I think a good season for him is he's active in most games um, by virtue, uh, mostly of his special teams play um, and gets a few non special team snaps here and there in, in a good chunk of the games in sort of the late game situations, whether they have a significant lead or uh, you know, if, hopefully it wouldn't be the other way around where the game is out of reach for the Ravens, but Mm -hmm. you know, in in situations where it's not, uh, you know, a terrible risk, um, uh, you know, in in these low risk situations and he, he gets some live fire experience. And And, you mean during the regular season, the live fire you're talking about? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, so that kind of, what you don't want is a season where he basically just doesn't play uh, any any actual in-game defensive snaps because it's almost it feels like almost a waste of a season. You know, you want you want your guys to get you know it, I, I wouldn't call it in this situation failing forward, but uh, you want them to you, you know get their if they're going to take lumps, you know, to do it early on so that they can learn from it. Completely agree. Absolutely. Could not have said it better. And I think I, I like the term failing forward. I think, you know, it's it's really very appropriate to minor league hitters and, and moving them forward to, to try and face that next level of stiffer competition as they move up and, and uh, make sure they can still handle it. But I, I set a bar for a good season at 50 plus snaps of play due to ro- uh, rotation, blowouts, could potentially be injury. And obviously, 
you know, depending on how things break, and we've seen the Raven cornerback room go really south and really far south in some past seasons, not impossible to see Caillou Blue Kelly being a starter at some point during the season if you lose a couple of guys. So uh, uh, you know, not impossible, certainly. The other thing I want to see for a good season is him to establish himself as a four-unit core special teams player, which keeps him active on most game days. And I think you really got at that, too, when you, when you're, you, know, you want him active on, on most game days. I, this is a little bit of a stretch for a good, and when I look at that, this, this may be too high, but I think he emerges from a crowded room to claim at least the number four outside cornerback job. So it's number three or four was what I have written down. And I think that has to come with a combination of coaching, work ethic, and absorbing the way the other Ravens DBs play the run in particular. How, how they play the pass, too, by all means. I mean, he's got to be good enough, obviously, in coverage. But he has to be a, he has to be a, a better, more active run defender to play in the Ravens scheme, um, in, in my opinion. You always you – know, there's a lot of stretching that goes on. They have um, – an emphasis on team defense with the Ravens, with McDonald, but they always have it. It's not just with, with McDonald in terms of uh, denying space uh, on the defensive line and the players who then the tackling responsibility falls to uh, are in the defensive backfield or at linebacker. And those players better be in the right spot at the right time playing downhill uh, as they need to. So hopefully he'll, he'll pick up on that. And we'll see some of the dog that, that some scouts must really see in him that uh, that overcomes some of his other uh, you know frankly physical deficiencies in terms of playing the position. Yeah, when it comes to when it comes to run defense and honestly his entire game it it, it kind of feels like he almost um he needs to multitask a little bit more. He he almost locks in on what his the responsibility right in front of him is mm-hmm. and that kind of detracts from him transitioning as the play develops into into what uh, you know what he needs to do like okay you know if i if it's a run play i need to disengage from defending this wide receiver and get in there and run support or or something like that so it, it, it i think that kind of explains a little bit why he gets washed out in some of these run run defense efforts mm-hmm. great point great point okay what would make a great season for you so great season for me is he forces himself into the CB4 or CB3 role. I mean, I think CB3 is really lofty, but given that that person is not currently on the roster, the the clear CB3 is not currently on the Mm -hmm. roster, um, you know, who knows how it will shake out. But if he forces himself into that role from uh, really good play and, you know, isn't a liability in that role, you know, I think that's, that's everything. You know, I think that that is a great season. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that lends itself to an increase over that, you know, 50 snap count, uh, certainly that you mentioned before. Um, I didn't really put down a specific snap count, but I think that would be, you know, if he could force himself into that role. All right. Yeah, I, I said something extremely similar that, you know, what the Ravens liked when they draft him shows up in bold relief. He's a dog. He's annoying. He really knows how to make contact in the first five yards off the line of scrimmage. And that's that's effective, whatever it might be that they like about him. And he beats out all of what is some fairly modest competition in total, honestly, Mullins, Worley, Seymour, uh, J.A.D., and Pepe. And can he can he beat out all those guys and be the number three cornerback? Um, I, if, if they sign Marcus Peters, he's not beating out Marcus Peters for the number three contract cornerback. Uh, but can he, can he beat the other guys uh, to do that? I think Worley is probably the guy I would bet on right now 
uh, not JAD and not Mullins, but but you know any any of those guys could be um, you know the, the have a different spot in the totem pole in terms of next man up uh, among that group. And then I, I think when he does play, and he will play if he's the number three cornerback, he will get time at some point during the season, guaranteed um, that he plays at least at a league average level when called upon, and, and that would give tremendous positive portent for the future. You know, you'd have a player you'd really, uh, if he could play at a league average level, 150 snaps, say, in this rookie year. Bad, It would be bad things that got the Ravens get there because you might be replacing Marlon Humphrey with 150 snaps of Caillou Blue Kelly. It wouldn't be a good trade, but it would be a great trade. In ter- Sorry, it would be a, have a great secondary value of your positive view on the future of Caillou Blue Kelly and how much more clearer it would make your cornerback look, room look for uh, 2024. Yeah, I mean, it would it would go a, a tremendous way. I mean, the Ravens are in this very bizarre place in their cornerback room. Like, right now you've got one undisputed bona fide star. I mean, I think Marlon Humphreys is good as anybody in this league. Uh, you know, I don't care what any top 10 list says. I think he's just outstanding, and I think he does, you know, almost everything but interceptions, generally speaking. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's it's very muddled. And, and, and it goes from being, you know, a very experienced room to a very young, inexperienced, unproven room very quickly. So if he can add any clarity whatsoever, I think that that is going to, the, tra- the trajectory for him going into year two would be just incredible. Yeah. All right. Outstanding. Uh, great analysis, Slava. You're obviously very prepared for this. Really appreciate it. We hope we're going to have you on the show a lot more as uh, uh, the offseason continues and the regular season begins. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter on at at Slava Cooperstein. That's Lava with an S, and then K U P E R S T E I N. All right, outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short or, or have any other ideas for a show the rest of the season, give me a DM on Twitter. Love to hear from you. And always got room for a show or two per week during the season. Uh, oftentimes, we want to create seven shows. And uh, I'm missing a topic for a day. And a lot of those come from from uh, uh, lending an open mic to the general public. So I really want to hear from you. And uh, if we have an interesting topic, we'll we'll uh, kind of formulate it, but, but a short conversation between you and me into a show. And we'll, we'll go ahead and record that. So Slava, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.